Welcome to episode three of season one of the Aerospace and Technology Podcast. My name is Woodrow Bellamy III. I'm a senior editor with SAE Media Group. As a reminder, season one focuses on several different technologies and approaches to countering small unmanned aircraft systems, both in military and civilian environments. This is the second half of the two-part interview we did with Michael O'Hara. He's a senior manager for short-range air defense and counter-uncrewed aerial systems of the Combat Systems and Mission Readiness Division and Northrop Grumman's Defense Systems Sector. If you have not heard part one of this interview, I encourage you to go back to the previous episode and check that out. It will give you a better understanding of where we picked up here in part two. In part one, Michael provided some perspective on how Northrop Grumman first became involved in providing counter UAS technology, both for armed forces in the U.S. and internationally, as well as some insight on how the war in Ukraine is showing in real time, how the use of small and expensive drones are being modified and used in warfare. In part two, we pick up where we left off with Michael as he provides some more perspective on how directed energy, high-powered lasers, and microwaves are some of the leading new counter-UAS technologies being used against drones in modern warfare. He also gives some insight on how counter-UAS is really a subset of modern air defense technology and what type of counter-UAS technology will become available in the future as well as how it will continue to evolve and change. Here's part two of our interview with Michael O'Hara of Northrop Grumman. And, you know, kind of as a follow-up to that, um, looking again at that the use of directed energy, and if you look at the, the way it's being used today to counter UAS attacks, um, are there some aspects of, you know, using directed energy that need to be optimized still? Um, so I, I think it goes more back into, yes, it, it, the, the ruggedization of the systems uh, that those 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 will those still need to be brought into optimization. I tell you, the um, you know we are working with our our FADC two to help that optimization. How do we, how do we point the lasers in the right direction to engage the right threats? It's always uh, what kind of threat is it? Do we know what it is? Is the laser the best uh, effector for that, or is it there another effector we can use? Um, the other part is is you gotta you, you really got to you know high energy lasers are not cheap. They're they're very expensive systems out there, uh, from the low power ones and to the much higher power ones that are coming out. Uh, they're 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 expensive compared to other types of effector systems. Yes, you're kind of like quote unlimited. Um, you know, uh, firing out of it uh, to uh, to some extent, but you're you're still evolving. Um, you still have to evolve in, in or mature uh, the the components of the system. Uh, for example, uh, your your cooling of the systems. You not need to you need to main you need to keep these lasers cooled. You have to you have to cool them. You, you may have batteries on board, you need to keep energized. And battery technology, as it evolves, it helps the laser weapon systems. And the other thing is, is how do you keep those high value uh, capabilities and how do you protect them on the battlefield? And some of that is, you know, uh, distributing your sensors. Take the sensors off of the laser weapon system or look at different types of of, of of sensing technologies that are not emitting type 
uh, technologies. And and I'll go back to FAT, our FADC2. We do that. We can distribute sensors on the battlefield and use them and, and, and communicate with the counter-U.S. effector systems and, and, and engage them and keep them quiet. Uh, you go back, what are advantages again? One advantage is the laser, it's not Star Wars. You're not seeing a red or blue beam emitting from the laser up to the threat. It is invisible. It's energy going out there. And um, so if you can remain hidden by not emitting and allow the C2 to use its range of sensors, you can, you can keep that system alive. And just as kind of a follow-up to that, you, you mentioned you know, maturity and evolution. Um, when you look again at the way the U.S. military is investing and purchasing counter-U.S. technology today, um, from your perspective, has counter-U.S. effectively become its own individual category within the aerospace and defense industry in terms of a dedicated supply chain and technology ecosystem? Um, or are, you know, are there some aspects such as suppliers, materials, or individual technologies that still need to mature and further be developed before you can kind of you know, call it its own individual category of A&D? Um, so, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. Um, uh, when I look at the problem set, I look at it from a bigger problem set. It's counter-U.S., uh, uh, short-range air defense, and counter-RAM, because it's all it's a p bigger part of a piece uh, a piece of the puzzle. The mission set is is more much broader. If you can sense a small drone, and you can sense small mortars coming in, and you can take into account uh, some you know rotary wing or fixed wing or subsonic cruise missiles. All that, it doesn't matter whether it, you're trying to defeat a drone or a, you know, for fat, a, more of a subsonic cruise missile or a slower fixed wing or a ram threat. If, if, you see, if you can see it, and that's why, you know, we, use, we don't use a single sensor on the battlefield. The, the U.S., you know, looks at different types of sensors and brings in all that information to the C2 to, to develop a single integrated air picture and, and takes into account whether it's drones, aircraft, you know, slower cruise missiles, and, and ram threats. So we, we look at it from a, a bigger perspective. I, now, is, is um, UAS a individual category of aerospace in, in defense? I will say there are, um, there are, companies looking at that perspective there are you know governments looking at you know counter uas is a individual piece but if you focus on just one you know counter us or counter ram or shore red you're not getting the bigger picture and as soon as someone says okay i'm switching from drones to mortars i'm switching from drones to faster movers than, than the typical drones you have to be looking at it from a balanced area, and that's what we do. We look at it a, a, across the spectrum of what we would call short-range air defense. Now, key technologies for um, to counter the UASs. Um, yes, there are there are technologies that that you you start looking at the electronic warfare type, um, but but a lot of these, when you look at it from a broader spec, 
uh, high power microwave as high power microwave ranges increase and capabilities increase same with lasers you're not you're not looking at a just a uas threat to engage you you can bro- you can fight that shorad defense let the c2 decide if if you're if that effector is more optimal for a particular threat that's coming in um I, so uh, I, I look at it from that perspective um you know, we, we, we are much more broader than just counter U.S. Now, that's how I look at it uh, from, um, you know, we don't try to stovepipe to counter U.S. mission space. We we, we uh, absorb it as part of the bigger Shorad mis- um, mission space. But does that kind of answer your what you're trying to get at or? Yes, definitely. That's a that's a great way of sort of summarizing it all. And um, final question for you, Michael, is, you know, what is the future of counter UAS? I mean, if you look out three to five years from now, what are some of the new counter UAS technologies or weapons that you expect to become available that are not on the market today? Um, that, that's, that's another good question. Um, and and um, without getting into you know the lower levels of what's going on that you know that can be shared, um, it can't be shared. The um, the high energy lasers, high power microwaves that we're seeing, I think we're seeing the beginnings of of that maturing capability. So three to five years from now, you you will you, you know it wouldn't be uncommon to see uh, DE in in. Uh, as part of the Shorad uh, defense capabilities, um, then the you know I mentioned the cannon-based air defense. Uh, as we look at cannon-based air defense for defeating different types of, of threats with round and different size calibers, you know you could talk about 30 millimeter, talk about 50 millimeter, and you could even talk about you know uh, you know one much bigger calibers. You know the technologies are there to guide them. Now to take those systems, make them smarter to intercept uh, UASs instead of where their typical mission space. Uh, you'll see that evolving too. You'll see you'll see technologies that are here today be taken and and used for a different mission set uh, set than it was designed for. Um, you, you also got to look at it from uh, you know. You got the effector side. You also have the sensor side. The, you, I, I, I see the 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 future of, of sensor technologies start growing from a active radar that's putting out energy, and everybody in the battlefield will know where it is. To technologies that would aid the radars, so you can shut the radars down. You can uh, use passive types uh, sensor technology. And 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 then only have to flip on radars possibly depending on the effector types uh, to for the actual engagements. So now you are your radars as we all know are not cheap assets on the battlefield. Um, we could protect them by using uh, the future capabilities of passive sensors and, and 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 basically use the radars more as a fire control type capability than a search type capability and acquire. I also look at um, uh, the, the FADC2 uh, capabilities. FADC2 
um, is basically a uh, a tablet. It's a it, it it it's a tablet format that can plug into a switch and talk to effectors and sensors, whether directly or by you know different types of communications paths. So um, we're we're going to look at seeing can we enhance the situational awareness uh, uh, to other non-air defender type personnel? Can you put can the big air defense you know, C2 system pass information to so, um, warfighters in the battle to give them awareness that there are drone threats nearby or above them so they can look at countering. So adding more capabilities to your C2 system to uh, enhance situational awareness, not only for the traditional air defense, but for the non-traditional air defense and warfighters on the ground or in vehicles. And then, and, and possibly in the future, you know, FAD C2, it doesn't care if it's what type of effector it has. If, if say, if it's in a vehicle and it understands, because it, it would, you know, we would update all the information and how an active protective system may work on a vehicle. Can you, you, can you tell the active protective system to engage a nearby drone before it hits you, like what we're seeing with uh, small drones taking out uh, armored vehicles now. So you can make you can you can let the uh, the sent the the capabilities on on the vehicles that are that are being enhanced over the next few years. We'll start seeing more and more of the APS systems, I believe, on heavy vehicles, uh, and make them smarter by getting the air picture to them so they know what, when there's a threat coming in and they can engage it before it kills them. Um, the, other, the other thing we'll see in enhancements more and more is interoperability. Uh, we do that, uh, and once again, we, FADC2, it talks, it's in vehicles now with the, you know, the Army's MSHORAD uh, striker systems. It's in the Army's uh, mobile uh, LIDS uh, systems that are the, the Army's counter U.S. systems um, on MATVs. So it, it provides a mobile capability. It, it, it allows them to talk inter between vehicles so you can grow that capability. You're not fighting as a vehicle and defending the airspace as a vehicle. You're defi defending it as a group of vehicles. But then you start growing it up to uh, higher levels of capabilities and creating a, a big single integrated air picture uh, across the across the battlefield, and then uh, you will en enhance the capabilities uh, because you'll be able to use different types of systems against the incoming threats overall. And then you grow that to interoperability uh, from not just you know a U.S. perspective, but allowing the U interoperability of the U.S. C2 to share their picture and, and information with uh, partner and ally nations uh, C2 systems. So if you're going together as a coalition, the C2 systems will, will, will fed and and then as as the the bigger army, the IBCS, comes in from the the bigger picture of air defense and FAD uh, gets um, starts converging with IBCS so those capabilities get bigger 
Now you're going to be able to fight a, a, the force as a well interoperable integrated force, whether it's all uh, all capabilities in one nation or going as a coalition and be able to share the, that air picture across all the allies and partners uh, so they can fight and protect their area, uh, the, the area as from a bigger perspective. It certainly will be a uh, kind of interesting technology and, and kind of system of technology and concept of operations to watch evolve into the future. Well, Michael, I just wanted to say I think our audience will walk away from this interview a lot more educated on the concept of counter UAS. Thanks for joining the podcast today. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time and and I was I hope I was able to answer your questions. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Aerospace and Defense Technology Podcast. You can subscribe to us on all podcasting applications or find new episodes posted at techbriefs.com slash podcasts.